Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show's hot take for Doctor Who Flux Chapter 2, War of the Sontarans. I'm Dave. <laughs> and I'm Rob. And that was a lot of title for what was a lot of episode, but we are here. I literally stopped watching this seven minutes ago. Rob, how long has it been for you? Oh, look, I watched it early this morning and I watched it again at lunchtime. So it's been about six hours since I last saw it. Oh, well, not, not too bad. You've had a little bit more time to digest it than I have, but that's uh-huh. okay. We're going to dive in. Uh, mm-hmm. Before we do, I just want to make two one-sentence comments about last week, which we said was a lot and uh, we, we maybe missed a few things. Mm-hmm. One, we didn't talk about the fact that that monstrosity of a TARDIS console, that abomination of a set, was slowly dying, which was a good thing, but interesting as well. And I also just want to note that it completely passed me by that Mm. when the Doctor was talking about the Division, that wasn't setting up some sort of new big bad for this flux season. That is actually a reference back to the timeless, timeless child, and because I haven't watched that episode since it was broadcast, and because the mm. division is such a bland title that didn't sit in my memory, yeah. I must admit I didn't put those two together until I heard them in other podcasts. So I just yeah. wanted to note that. Oh, okay, yeah, that's who the Ruth Doctor was working for. Yeah, yeah. Like as soon as somebody mentioned it on the podcast, I thought, oh, of course, the division—they're the <laughs> Irish blokes. But um. <laughs> It did pass me by. I thought that that was something that was being set up. So again, a a good thing that it was being linked back to, but a warning shot that sometimes, you know, you need to be really invested in this stuff to pick up all the references. And not everybody goes and listens to half a dozen podcasts after an episode comes out to to pick all this up. So I thought that was worth going. Rob, War of the Sontarans. There's a lot to cover, 59 minutes. So to start us off, word of the week, Rob. My word of the week, Dave, is ecclesiastical. You've worked hard on that one. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a bit of time. You've had more time. My word of the week is title. Title, okay. Uh, Look, it's called War of the Sontarans. Let's, well, you know, let's pull back just a little bit first. Mm. Did you enjoy the episode, Rob? What's what's your big picture comment? Look, Dave, I I was into it. You know, around 7am this morning, as I mentioned on the first run through, and and in my foggy brain, I was sitting there thinking, hey, Rob, this episode is very good. And a few aspects bugged me as it went on, a few chibnalisms snuck back in. But when I rewatched it, those things actually weren't issues like I thought they were issues. I won't go into what they are, not through a sense of embarrassment, but just so I don't muddy any of the conversation going forward. So on my second viewing, I liked it even more than the first viewing, and on the first viewing, I thought it was pretty good. So I I am feeling pretty positive about this one, Dave. Yeah, I am feeling mostly positive. I actually agreed with your initial comment there. It was mostly good, sometimes great, with things that bugged me. I think that's actually a really good way that you put it there, things that bugged me. Mm. Maybe that'll get better for me on my second viewing. We'll see. Look, as, as I was just saying, it's called War of the Sontarans. Did you dig them? Did you, did you like them? Were they cool? <laughs> I'm just flicking down my notes to where I've jotted a few dot points. I think they're pretty good on the whole. The comedy seemed dialed down from the previous episode, even though there were some funny lines like the guy who wanted to ride a horse. That's why they went to the Crimea, so he could sit on a horse. Okay, that's funny. When they shoot one of their own for returning from being captured and later they gun down a bunch of civilians in Liverpool, it's not it, it, it's clear that they're not funny guys who are, you know, all talk and no trousers. And I think that's good. 
I think a villain has to do things like that once in a while to remind you that they're serious, they're not a panto villain, and that there are real stakes at hand. What was bad, however, should I go into what was bad, or do you want to have a crack no, at the No, no, you, you, you do your bad bit, and then I'll give my thoughts. All right, then. What was bad, meanwhile, was the whole episode hinges on the fact they all go to sleep simultaneously. Now, I don't want to come across all, you know, comic book guy from The Simpsons, but come on, for a highly focused warlike race, there's no way they'd all go offline at the same time like this. I mean, how does this work in a protracted engagement? You know, oh, excuse me, enemy, we're just going to go and kip for seven minutes, all of us at the same time. I, I, I get how it helped the storyline. I get all of that, but it just doesn't quite work for me. And then the cherry on top blowing up the ship in modern day Liverpool seemed to solve the whole thing in a temporal sort of way. Okay, it all seemed a bit too convenient. But the Sontarans themselves, they looked good. I was, I quite liked them. Yeah, I really liked them. I thought they looked spectacular, particularly in the armour. I thought the armour was great. The mm. masks were really good. I, I liked the commander or commanders, uh, clone race, so he gets to play a few. I thought that was really good. I agree, there was a viciousness and an effectiveness to them that made them genuinely seem formidable. The yes. use of CGI giving them numbers made them genuinely seem formidable. It, it looked for a long time as one of those, like, how does the Doctor get out of this one? Which is always a great thing for, for, for Doctor Who. So I, I was very positive in that sense. I, I liked the cunningness of the plan. I liked that we're seeing, once again, the Sontarans playing with time. Not not in the way that the Time Lords and the Daleks do, but, but they have a familiarity with time. We saw that in the Time Warrior. We saw mm -hmm. that in the Invasion of Time. We saw it in the Two Doctors. You know, Sontaran stories are often linked with their attempts at or rudimentary time skills. So a lot of pluses for me. I didn't like the Dan Starkey Sontaran. And, and let me say why, because I think that this is actually going to be I'm predicting, I haven't seen, I haven't looked at any feedback, but I think this could be one of those it splits fandom debates. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will say, oh, but the Sontarans have always been funny. They've always been comic relief. They should be comic. And I, I, I get that. There is a certain laughability to the Sontarans. But to me, Sontarans and humour is very much like Arthur Lowe playing Captain Mannering. They are, they are funny because of their incorruptibility and because they're playing it straight, mm. no matter how ridiculous they're being. And there was that particular scene where Dan Starkey uh, was, was, was in his Sontaran makeup and he's been tied up and he's doing with the Doctor and he's playing it for laughs and he's leaving pauses for the laugh gags and this is a funny line, so I'm doing a funny mm. voice. And I just thought, no, that's, that's not how you do it. They, they should be Arthur Lowe, not Private Pike. Um, yeah. that's, that's, that's my take. I'll be interested to see how people feel about that one. Yeah, me too, when more podcasts start popping out for sure. Um, I'll come back, I think, to the resolution, because I think there's more to say on that, but I, I, I will foreshadow by saying I broadly agree with what you said. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Let's talk a bit more, you know, high level, about yeah. the setup of this episode. So we, we left last time with what I called cliffhanger whiplash. <laughs> we, we, we had, oh my god, the universe is about to end Followed yep. by a teaser trailer Look at what the fun we're going to have next week And this this was quite whiplashy uh, We went from The universe is going to end The Doctor's in a TARDIS And the Flux is coming to We're now just in Crimea And I kind of dig well, that Well, I'm going to jump in there, Dave Yeah Are we in the Crimea? Oh Because 
I'll start by saying with The Flux, you know, for a series based around it, there's not a whole lot to say about The Flux in this episode. Yes, it's a thing. Yes, everyone's concerned about it. But we didn't really advance the storyline any. Maybe that'll be next episode. But when we first start this episode, Dave, Jodie is in... I don't think she's in the Crimea. I think she's on Gallifrey. And she's looking up at a crooked old weird house that's floating in midair. The Logborough House. And... (laughs) That's where I'm going, Dave. Maybe it's just because we did an episode on Lung Barrow. Yeah. But I have to ask you, is that meant to be Lung Barrow or is Chibnall just trolling older fans? I don't know whether it's meant to be Lung Barrow. I don't know whether it's because uh, in the world of... In a world where Harry Potter exists and is big in the fantasy zeitgeist that influences elements and it looked kind of like that. Or, or, or yeah, it's just a coincidence or it's a troll or it, or it is actually... Lungbarrow, that would be very cool. Um, I, I mean, yeah. there's one other option, and that's that um, Azure lured Diane into an old house in the first episode, and it was quite dark, and I haven't gone back and looked at it, but my memory was that it was kind of a gothic-looking house that she lured her into. Could it be the same house? I'd rather go with Lungbarrow, to be honest, but that was the other option in my head. So are, are you positing that the Doctor is really somewhere else and having various experiences, or just that the Doctor briefly went, went to Crimea via somewhere? She went to Crimea via somewhere in her memory. Right. So I think the flux sort of hit the TARDIS. She's blacked out and had this vision where I don't think she's in the Crimea. It's confusing because she's got the same sort of wavy kink in her hair as she has in the Crimea because it's wet and snowing or raining or whatever. And I think Mm. that can make it look very similar. But it is meant to be different. It's in black and white. She's in a field with very tall sort of grass around her. It doesn't look like the Crimea at all. It is meant to be a different place. And there's a goddamn floating house that we don't see for the rest of the episode and that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. I think it's got to be something like Gallifrey or something. Yeah, that's not a bad little pull. And certainly, I think it did affirm very quickly that this is not going to be what we thought it might be, which is big convoluted setup episode, a whole bunch of standalones, and then big convoluted conclusion. Mm. This this was not a standalone. Although it was the Sontaran heavy episode, we did get Dan in Modern Times Liverpool. We did get Yaz somewhere. I like that. I I thought okay, we we're we're doing we're doing proper epic. We're doing proper big. This, this is actually chapter two of an ongoing story. There are lots of threads that are going on, and some are going to get more emphasis in different episodes. But but it is actually proper epic, proper ongoing, and I'm here for that. Yeah, it pulls it back a little. I think I said last episode. Look, during the Sontaran episode, I don't think we'll flick every two minutes to see what the Weeping Angels are doing because they're going to have their own episode. So we do go all over the place. The companions are all split up and all that. But we weren't looking at everything. There are Cybermen in the next episode. We weren't looking at what the Cybermen are doing, you know. Um, So there's still more to be teased out here and there. That's right. There were no angels this time. I think we got a reference to the tunnels, but I don't think we were in the tunnels this time. There were new things going on. We got the swarm later on. So, yeah, I I think this is a very sort of book-like approach. And I'm, I'm, Mm. I'm down for that. I think that's... That's pretty cool, and I'm, I'm liking that format. I think it's working well. We have got some Chibnall-isms happening, though. One of them is big character from past uh, comes in there. In fact, Dan even says, is that a real person from real history? Yes, kids, it is. <laughs> uh, what did we make of all that? Oh, we had a bit of everything, Dave. We also had a countdown towards the end. You know, as you, we used to have countdown, you know, five, four, three, two, one. 
four, three, <laughs> two, one. Uh, exposition. I started making notes on the exposition when it didn't need to be there, especially when there were some really naturalistic lines that were in the dialogue that covered off what the exposition was about anyway. I'd sit there thinking, hey, Chibnall, you know, the audience isn't dumb. Just use those naturalistic lines. That's all you need to do. But at this point, honestly, Dave, talking about Chibnall exposition is like beating a dead horse, so I stopped taking notes after a while. But I am noting it was there again. Yeah, a couple of our our listeners did pull us up on, on social media during the week and said we went a bit harsh on Chibnall's exposition last episode and i think that's not an unreasonable thing i think we are primed to look for it so when it pops up even a little bit we're like ah there it is Mm. this episode though i think there were actually some very blunt scenes and some quite clanger lines that that i thought yeah he's writing his back and that was a shame but i enjoyed mary siegel mary siegel i think she provided some good light relief which is probably not what people were expecting when they heard that this was, you know, the the Mary Seacole episode, you know, we got a general sense of what Seacole was doing in the Crimean War. However, Rosa, this was not, you know, we, we didn't go very deep at all. And with Yaz and Dan's sideline, she was largely there for the quips. And I think there was a really good one where she sees Dan on the view view screen. She's like, oh, hello, dear. I don't know what's going on either. <laughs> you know, and That got a genuine laugh from me. And I kind of liked this, you know. She wasn't treated foolishly or in a dismissive sort of way. And if the kids want to know more, there's certainly something there to grab onto. They've got the name. They've got the gist of who she is. They can go and read up. It didn't need to be super historical, which, you know, we should get real here. If the episode isn't seeking to be in a historical, you shouldn't be going that deep. You can't have your cake and eat it too you know i think she was pitched just right for this kind of story yeah i think that's pretty fair i i did note the irony that chibnall has finally found a format that perfectly works with a large tardis crew where they can all go off into long deep plot strands and, and do stuff in different mm-hmm. literally different time zones and different planets and he did that so effectively that he actually found he was a companion short and so needed mary to be the substitute companion and 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 you're right she did sort of start off as hey kids he's an historic figure if you don't know about mary let's teach you about her she's real and mm. there, there was that genuine sense of you know what she did and what sort of person she was and and how she's a great role model and a very positive figure and all the rest of it and then sort of slowly just slid into being the companion again great characterization and great lines but she was by the end of it basically just companion substitute and someone to mean the doctor didn't have to talk to herself yeah true (laughs) what about general logan yeah definitely a low point of the episode for me Mm -hmm. uh this is another example of not just chibnall who but frankly all of modern doctor who simply has no concept of how to write for the military Uh, they all have a very cliched stereotypical uh, warped outside view of the military that i think is frankly not very clever not very appropriate look maybe i'll say that as somebody who did wear a uniform for a few years Mm -hmm. back in my youth but I, i contrast it with the classic series where particularly in the 70s a lot of the cast and crew were, did serve and there was a not not a reverence for the military i don't think that's what i'm, I'm talking about but a an understanding of the pros and the cons and how the military works the brigadier could be very capable very cunning very smart but occasionally belligerent and occasionally focused on an outcome that the doctor wasn't that's clever this guy was just a dick 
he was he was stupid for the sake of being stupid. He was cowardly for the sake of being cowardly. He was a revenge-filled plot device when they needed a revenge-filled plot device. Uh, he didn't feel like a character. He felt like a cipher, and, and that took me out of several chunks of this episode. I, I've even got cipher written down here in my notes and <laughs> the dot points. Uh, so I'll skip forward. Yeah, look, read the sabotage. I'm, I'm still not sure how he managed to take just a couple of light infantrymen in there and sabotage all those ships with, you know, tons and tons of gunpowder. No, that was that was days of work. They only had six or seven minutes yeah. to, to sabotage the gases in the ships. Yet somehow he got around all the ships in six or seven minutes, sabotaged the gas. Then with only two dudes under the nose of the Doctor and Mary Seacombe, brought in all these kegs of gunpowder. It was like, ooh, that's one of the things that didn't make sense the first time. It still didn't make sense the second time, yeah. I've got to say. So so let's loop a couple of these points together because I've only got minor points from here. And I think this is a sort of the big, big one. There were too many things in this episode that, to me, were just a little bit too convenient. There was, as you said, everybody goes to sleep for seven and a half minutes. There was, and suddenly, a few barrels of gunpowder put together by a couple of guys was enough to blow up spaceships that can, you know, travel through... No, like, like that's ridiculous. Uh, there was the, by pushing a few buttons, okay, I get that Calvinista is an alien and he's got smarts and all the rest of it, but by pushing a few buttons, this ship does, I don't know what, and suddenly all the ships have gone without any debris. There, there, it, it, it was, to me, too many cheats, and that, to me, did spoil the ending. Well, even Calvinista turning up to rescue Dan was very deus ex machina. You know, on, on face value it works, but if you start to think about how he'd need to know where to be, he'd need to know how to track Dan, he'd need to sneak onto the ship when sneaking doesn't seem to be one of his strong suits. Uh, it's all a bit, yeah, I get that it's meant to be this big surprising moment and ta-da, there's Carvanista, but it doesn't work well in my mind. Yeah, look, this is, I think, again, one of those problems with doing a hot take where it, it, it worked for you in a moment. Okay, Calvinista is an established character. He, he, he came back. It was a nice moment of drama, a nice moment of humour. And, and I think for most of the audience, that's it. Good good, good laugh, good moment. Uh, you're, you're right. When we sit here and go, what were the problems with the episode? That, that was a problem. But I, I think for the casual viewer, it, it would have been fine. Whereas some of the mm. other things we've said, I think were, were, were less so. I've got a couple of minor points, and I'm sure you've got a couple of minor points. I've got a few points on Swarm and Azure that I'd like to get through. Okay, well, let's do, let's do them as a bundle. Go on. You start us off. Okay. Because I still don't think we have much sense of who they are to the degree that people out there on social still think that Swarm is the master. You know, and, and hopefully we'll learn more in the next episode because to be halfway through the series in the next episode and still not know what's really up with the main baddies... You know, I don't think that'd be a good thing. If we get into the fourth or fifth episode and we still don't know, I'd be calling BS on it. But I'm confident from the trailer and the title of the next step that I think we're going to learn it next. I will highlight one weird line from Swarm. He says, time is running wild. It could really harm the TARDIS. And I mean, okay, but in the grand scheme of things, how important is the TARDIS to mention? You know, like time is running wild. I dare say that's going to affect the entire universe, not just the TARDIS. It, it just sounded really weird, that line. It really stuck out to me for some reason. It's like if I said, Dave, your neighbourhood is going to get carpet bombed. It's really going to mess up the Subaru. <laughs> you know, it, it, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, look, look I do, but I actually liked it. I, I liked all of the, the Swarm stuff. I thought it was really well done, really creepy i very camp it, it, it is camp in the good way and i like that i 
do like that it's still a bit of a mystery. And that, that is something that is keeping me engaged with Flux uh, as a saga. I'm going, okay, wh- who are these people and what is this about? Uh, I liked the fact that, yes, he's talking about, or it, it, is it a he and it? I don't know. I didn't get mm. his pronouns. Um, mm. I, I, I like the fact that Swarm is talking about the universe, but clearly it is very personal for him and he wants to make it personal about the Doctor. So I actually got and I liked that fact that it was, I don't care the whole universe is burning, your TARDIS is burning, and I want you to know that. I I liked that. I think it does indicate that something personal is going on. Look, the Master does fit still, but I don't think it works. And I particularly Mm. want to highlight the line, it was something along the lines of you perceive time as so linear, or uh, his retort to Yaz. Yes. And and that sort of implied that we are doing a bit of a timey-wimey thing where maybe... Swarm is meeting the Doctor in reverse or their perception of reverse or whatever. Uh, it did also sound very much like the Prophets in Deep Space Nine as well, which I had to mention. But but I, I was I was on board for all the Swarm stuff this time. Okay, cool. I've done another history lesson. Okay. Like I did last week, if you're interested. Yeah, go on. Similar to the Williamson Tunnels last week, I've been researching because Yaz is asked to fix the Mori and ends up becoming one. Now, in Greek uh, religion and myth... The Morii, also said as sort of Mori, are known as the Fates, Dave. And they were the incarnations of destiny. There's generally three of them, Clotho, Lachesis, and Atropo. And where were we in this episode? We were in the Temple of Atropo. Uh, so I've got a feeling they're sort of playing on this theme of destiny and they're sort of using some Greek religion and myth in there. It's not quite a, a complete match, uh, you know, because there were more than three of them in there, for example, even before Vinda and um, Yaz got added. I think he's doing something there with some Greek myth. So, you know, stay tuned on that. Yeah, okay. I hadn't picked all that up, but I, I do think that's very cool and that's very interesting. Mm. Are we down to dot points? Oh, yeah. I mean, Joseph Williamson, uh, where did he go after he talked to Yaz? He still thinks he's wandering the tunnels under Liverpool, I think. Is he just wandering around that temple? I don't know. It was a strange little cameo. Yeah, he certainly thought it was 1820 and that threw me for a bit. So that that was interesting. I noted that down. Uh, I thought that the companions being split up in that effect was really creepy and I really liked it. Mm hmm. Uh, references this week General Logan blowing up the Sontarans and the Doctor flipping out was very strongly a callback to Harriet Jones destroying the Sycorax in Christmas Invasion it was and we got a reference to Lynx from the Time Warrior mm-hmm, absolutely I thought Vinda was good insofar as the actor remembered his few lines <laughs> but that's about all like, like, he wasn't good or bad he was just he turned up he gave some lines he was a statue okay but then there was that moment where he's trying to shoot uh, Swarm and Swarm's just moving around and he tries and he tries again and he tries and he tries again and then as he gets into the act and he tries and he tries and he tries again and he tries again and it's like dude give up <laughs> we get we get it you can't hit them yeah um i i didn't really take much out of vinda but he was there mr and mrs dan didn't do anything for me and i don't need parents in doctor who but i'm sure they made some people <laughs> laugh and that's good and music wasn't as much of a standout as last week, but there's some good battle music in places when I concentrated it particularly on my second watch. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I can hear what Akinola's doing uh, here. Uh, good, very good. There was some great music, I, I agree with that. Uh, when they mentioned zero coordinates, I thought for a moment we were going to be at the gateway in Warrior's Gate. Very cool, yes. Uh, and I will say the cliffhanger was very cool, and I was I was waiting for the moment of the snap. I was going, yeah, are they going to snap before the credits? They, yes, he has. Okay, cool. I'm on board. I want to know what's going on. Shall we go to the sports desk? It's time to go.
Rob, we are now at our sports desk where we are going to talk about our player of the week, our foul of the week, and our play of the week. We are well and truly going against time right now. So, Rob, your player of the week. Dave, I'm going to do what you did last week and go with Jodie Whittaker. Uh, I was sold on almost all of her performance here as she has really dropped that children's TV presenter persona, yet she isn't particularly different. She's still her doctor, but she's shifted into something a bit harder, a bit more serious, and it really works. And the only time the bottom fell out of this was the scene where she asked for a pointy stick and did a bunch of exposition on a, on a, on a whiteboard sort of thing uh, and reverted back to that earlier sort of children's TV persona. I was disappointed with that, but largely, I think she's re- done really well with the portrayal. Yeah, I agree. Largely, she's done very well. There was a moment when I think she got a little bit too scared and panicky again which I don't think is a good vibe for Jodie but otherwise yeah I think she's good but my player of the week was Jonathan Watson as Commander Skark Mm -hmm. I think he is going to go down as one of the memorable villains of the Chibnall era he's one of the best revivals of a monster from Classic Who that we've seen he he got that vibe of the Sontarans need to be serious in themselves and take themselves seriously but kind of a bit comical but also a bit terrifying and so yeah, yeah that, that was definitely my player foul of the week I'll go first and this could well be a snap because we have discussed it and my foul of the week was the 7.5 minutes which as we've discussed was utterly utterly ridiculous and made me throw my hands in the air so we don't need to keep going over that we know why it is rob what was yours not a snap but something you have mentioned dan's mum and dad we were introduced to them but i'm not sure an older couple like that would within what 48 hours of an alien invasion be running around the streets bopping them with frying pans you know (laughs) the sontarans are armed to the teeth and they're clearly killing people i know they shoot like stormtroopers apparently as we saw when they were chasing dan that was another thing i didn't mention earlier uh and i guess the mum and dad made for some humor but it just didn't feel quite right to me oh it's my foul yeah i would i would very happily cut them out and the episode i don't think would be any the worse for it correct rob Play of the week. Play of the week. I think the Sontarans mounting an invasion of time, and gosh, where have we heard that name before, <laughs> uh, was was quite cool. And the idea that Mary and the general vaguely knew this word Russia, but didn't know why they knew it, and were adamant that Sontar had always been on the map. It was a cool thing to pull off, because you can then do a big reset and it was never there at all. And, you know, I presume in that situation that time just goes back to normal and that the Russians were there all along and... I guess it might mean that some people will come back to life now who were killed by the Sontarans, but not by the Russians, and they don't die in the Crimea at all. It's quite mind-bending when you start to think of all the ramifications, but I quite like that. Yeah, that was really cool. I, I agree. That was a really good moment. And we do pull up Chibnall when he's exposition writing his Paul, and I think we do need to pay tribute that that was a really good way of just looking at the map and seeing Sontar over Russia and going, okay... Mm. now we kind of know where things are going and and it really was a good show don't tell moment so credit to Chibnall for that Uh, but my play of the week was the execution of the three human saboteurs by the Sontarans that was a moment I was coming to this episode I'm going I kind of like this not quite sure where it's going Dan Stark you know oh wow they shot civilians these are baddies these are these are monsters Ooh, it's serious now that was played perfectly well the way it was directed was really good. Dan's reaction was really good. It was a moment that I think is going to stick in my memory from this episode, and that's that's a play of the week for me. 
I thought any moment Dan was going to jump up and say, hey, you guys, and they'd start shooting at him and he'd run off and sort of distract them or something. And that didn't happen, which was great. Yeah, not pulling the punch, I think, was really effective and, and it worked really, really well. Uh, before we give our scores, it's time to discuss our word of the week. Rob, you had ecclesiastical, I think. <laughs> My word of the week, yes, was ecclesiastical because I think this episode was a bit of a curate's egg for me. Ha <laughs> ha! Curate, get it? Ecclesiastical, right, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were parts I thought were great, bordering on excellent even, uh, but like I said at the start, there were parts I thought could have been done better, and even on the second watch, I think some of them are still there at least. And so this really was a curate's egg to me, but a mostly good curate's egg if such a thing exists. Yep, I understand that. And in fact, we're coming from very similar places because my word was title. And I really felt as I was watching this as though there were waves coming over me. And sometimes there'll be a great, big, wonderful wave. And I'll go, wow, this is doing so much good stuff. And then it would recede and I'd go... That was a really cringy moment. And then another really cool battle scene would come in. Oh, this yes. is it. It's punching. And then I'd go, now now his parents are here. Why? And it just, just it was it really was this sort of wave of like awesomeness that would pull back. And I'd go, that's just a little bit naff. So yeah. it, it, I think we're coming from similar points of view, all of which means our scores were, Rob. I'm placing this over the opening episode, but only marginally. Uh, so it's an 8 out of 10 for me. Uh, and it, it seems strange to be almost apologetic for that because 8 out of 10 is actually a really good score and I hope it makes it absolutely crystal clear. I don't dislike this episode at all. But I think with a tweak here and there, it could have been an 8.5 or even a 9 for me. So I kind of lament that a little. Yeah, I'm going for a 7, which is a 1 down from last week for me. Ooh, okay. Uh, 7 is still a very positive score. I enjoyed watching this episode. I wasn't bored at all. It was a good episode, but there were too many annoying things um a poor resolution the military stuff really grinded my gears and i didn't like that and, mm. and a couple of things that you know i just lopped a couple of points off and i left here feeling less fulfilled than i did last week but both enjoyable episodes but a few more problems this time as as you say when i watch this again not taking notes it's possible that the weaknesses will flow over me a lot more and i'm very open to that but but seven seven and eighties i think you know pretty good and pretty fair yeah, see how you go. Yeah, absolutely. But we will be back next time. We've had another big cliffhanger that's all going to end, and I'm sure it won't. But until then, I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. And we will speak again. Well, by the time you get this, I will speak again in six days, and then in seven days, and then again after that. It's a busy month. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Timey-wimey. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Doctor Show. Robin Dave Find us online by searching for The Doctor Show We also love it when you write in Drop us a line anytime at hello at the dwshow.net <laughs>